Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, fam. I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. everyone. So just in case you are listening to this from the future, here's a quick reminder that the summer of 2020 was, uh, let's say, unusual. There are a lot of other words I could use, uh, but it was also incredibly notable for the Black Lives Matter protests and violent clashes with cops in cities across the country, sparked by a number of Black people being killed by police officers. So it might be tempting to look at Angie Thomas's 2017 novel, The Hate You Give, as prescient, but really, she's writing about something that has been happening for decades, for centuries, really, in this country. But we will get to that. This is Popcorn Book Club. And this week, we are talking about Thomas's novel and its 2018 film adaptation. And I promise you, even dealing with sensitive topics like these, our commitment to correcting people remains steadfast. Wow, she's an inaccurate racist. <laughs> like, that just really gets me. Like, if you're going to be hateful, do it right. <laughs> So, without further ado, here's Popcorn Book Club. Hey, welcome back to Popcorn Book Club. I'm Dana Schwartz and joined, as always, by Karama Donkwa, Jennifer Hello. Wright, Melissa Hunter, and Tian Tran. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hi. The Hate You Give, obviously, was a book that came out in 2017 and had a film version uh, in 2018, but we are revisiting it now uh, for reasons that should be obvious, and also obvious should be that uh, I, Dana Schwartz, am a white person, and so I'm going to throw guidance of this conversation and leadership of this conversation over to my friend, Karama hey, I am a black person. You guys can't but see me. I, I do, just realized that. I, <laughs> I have one actual question for you, Karama, before you, before you take the uh -huh. lead. Uh, the issue... Oh, no, <laughs> oh, no. you look worried. I'm so terrified. What's the question? <laughs> No, it's just the there's the big issue of of code switching in this book and yes. uh, star the version of sh that she is at home and the version she is at school. Mm -hmm. You went to uh, as you've told me, not that I'm guessing, a uh, predominantly white prep school. Yes. 
boarding school, fancy, fancy Virginian school. Yes. Uh, can you, what was that experience like for you? Uh, well, I, well, just to clarify, I did go to, for three years of high school, I went to an all girls boarding school in central sort of basically Northern Virginia, but like rural Northern Virginia in Loudoun County, which is fun fact, one of the richest counties in the nation. And uh, it was an equestrian school. So most of the girls rode horses and I Mm. did not ride horses. I owned zero horses. My uh, my roommate sophomore year horse girl school. (laughs) Yes, I went to horse girl school. I the horse girls have become radicalized. I will say that like my roommate (laughs) from sophomore year who had a horse named Jack and she showed me like a picture album of her pictures of her and Jack. uh, And she now lives on a farm. She met her husband on Farmers Only. She's uh, and she was she having sex with the horse? No, (laughs) she had a photo album of her and her horse. No, she was not having sex with the horse. There was a rumor spread about another girl at school that she had um, performed fellatio (laughs) on a horse. And the rumor, the worst part about that rumor is that somebody said that I started it. And I was like, no, I did not. I have nothing to do with this horse fellatio rumor. But oh, um, no. back to the point. No, it's just ever since Catherine the Great, people just keep going with the same room. Yeah, steering us back away from horse fellatio. <laughs> <laughs> steering it back to the conversation of race. I did not come from uh, a like horse background, but I did. My mom also went to that school. I was one of the first mm. sort of legacies that was Black. And I think that it is important to note that Blackness is not a monolith. And Star's experience in this book is not every Black person's experience in this book. And there's overlap with mine. I did feel like I had to be different at school than I was at home. Um, But the thing is, I lived at school. Mm -hmm. So that also makes it a whole different Mm -hmm. situation where I was there like nine months out of the year. Uh, And for me, I felt like I was definitely encouraged to remember that my situation in life was not the same as their situations in life. So if I got in trouble, the consequences would be different. And that was something that I think was always over me. And I kind of got this reputation very early on that I was a narc because I was like, if you guys do anything that is bad, I will tell on you because I'm not trying to be an accomplice to anything. I'm not trying to affiliate myself with anything that is untoward. And so that did not earn me many friends early on. But as people got to know me, I think they got to figure out that, oh, Mm -hmm. she's not a narc, she's just scared. Um, So uh, yeah, I did go to a primarily white institution for high school, PWI for short, and I went to one for college. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that I have a lot of experience with what Star went through in terms of having a code switch and having these two worlds and living and existing in a world where people are very educated and have this idea of knowing a lot about what's going on in the world, but still don't really see you for who you are. And there's a line, I think it was in the movie. I don't remember if it was also in the book, but Haley says to Star, oh, you're different. And there's that sort of feeling that like, oh, you're not like other Black people. Because mm. you're a person that oh, I right. understand and you're palatable. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something that happens a lot with Black people who have a lot of white friends and have a lot of non-Black friends in general. And Karama, for listeners who maybe don't know, can you explain code switching? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Code switching is something that everyone does. Uh, just to be clear, it's not exclusive to Black mm-hmm. people, but a lot of times we have conversations about it in relation to Blackness. Uh, Code switching is when 
the language and behaviors that you engage in with one group of people, you change them when you're around another group of people. So we all code switch in in smaller ways like, oh, when I'm with my friends, I don't talk the same way I talk at work because that would be inappropriate. I unless you're us and you can talk about horse fellatio both at work and with your friends. <laughs> um, that's that's actually with black more specific. People, yeah, you're a comedy writer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that yeah. is true. Our group chat does not have many conversations about horse fellatio yet. <laughs> yet. Uh, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so code switching for black people in particular can be a switch from African-American vernacular English, also known as AAVE, sometimes pejoratively termed Ebonics, into standard American English. So that's something that some people in their neighborhoods, like Star says in the book, and we'll get into plot in just a second, but Star says, if a rapper would say it, Star at Williamson's, Williamson, oh, I know the name of the school, Star mm-hmm. at Williamson would not say it. So there's this sort of division of, this is my academic language and this is my I am at home with my friend's language, even when she's in the social aspects of her school. So not just in the classroom, but also when she's talking to her peers. And there's also that scene in the movie. I think we also watched the movie where she's like walking down the hall and all the white kids are like, those kicks are lit. And she's just like, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that scene made me want to retch. I just, (laughs) uh, it was, I mean, it was a visceral reaction because we've all had it. And like there are people in my life, like people that I've known for a very long time who will talk differently to me, a black person, than they do to other white people in their lives. Like um, there is a family friend who whenever I come over to their house, he's like, oh, what's up, dog? And I'm just like, I don't talk like that. I Mm. legitimately don't. And I don't (laughs) know why you would talk to me like that, because you also don't talk like that. And there's nothing wrong with talking like that. But it's just not how either of us talk. And it's the shift into that when my face walks into the room. I've had to not catch myself, but I have noticed sometimes on the Internet, like with like Twitter slang that like cool teens are using. But obviously and primarily comes from the black community where sometimes I'm like doing a meme and it's more in in, you know, like more casual language or slang that I wouldn't really use. And I sort of have to catch myself and being like, okay, what am I trying to do here? That's like not an accurate representation of myself. So I think like in watching this movie, it's so easy and reading the book, obviously like for Haley, who's like the most villainous white character in the world, which we'll get to, it's easy to dismiss and be like, oh, well, I'm not like that. So Mm -hmm. I'm good. But I think that it does sort of sneak up on people and, and well-meaning people. in every Yeah, there's a spectrum of, of all of that stuff. And uh, it's easy to think because I'm not 115, the cop, that I'm not engaging in mm-hmm. racist behavior. Or because I'm not Haley, I'm not engaging in racist behavior. But there are so many thousands of things in between those two people mm-hmm. and on the other side of Haley that might seem more yes. innocuous. Uh, but yeah, let's get into some plot. Uh, Melissa, do you want to mm-hmm. start us off? Oh, gosh, sure. Sorry um, to throw the okay. intense beginning at you. I just, <laughs> I know, you look so I know, serene and I thought I'd fuck that up. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I need to um, get out of my neutral space. Uh, so we have Star Carter. She is our lead, our heroine. Um she is, I believe, mm-hmm. 16 years old. Is that yeah. correct? Um, 
And she is going to a party with Kenya, who we later learn is not her, not related. She's not related to Kenya, but they share a brother. They both share a half brother on different sides, dad and mom, respectively. So, and it's a primarily black party, and or um, mostly mostly black people are there. Teenagers. It's it's a you know a really big party, and she feels very uncomfortable in this space. She's not. She's not because she goes to this prep school. She is most of her social circle is now white. So she feels a little bit like off her footing. She doesn't she feels self-conscious because she talks about how at her school she's the cool black girl because you by nature get when you're around a bunch of white people, they think you're cool and say your shoes are lit. Um, But here everyone is cooler than her, or at least she thinks so. And um, she runs into Kenya has um, uh, is in sort of a fight. She wants to fight with this girl who I think there's some boy drama between them. And so she goes off and Khalil, her old friend, uh, comes up to her and they haven't seen each other in a while and they're talking and it's clear there's some intimacy between them. They really care for each other and he it's also you can tell there's like a little bit of flirtation too there's just a lot of layers to this relationship and then all of a sudden shots are fired uh in the party and everyone is scrambling to leave and khalil grabs star and says come with me and so they go into his car and drive away and they're driving they're catching up some more it uh, Khalil makes uh, either at the party or in the car, I forget, uh, seems to imply that he's has some money now and she's a little bit worried that it might be related to drugs. And um, and then all of a sudden they get pulled over. And when they get pulled over, we hear Star sort of of what she's learned when she had the talk with her parents when she was younger about how to be safe as uh or as safe as you can be as a black person with a police when you're pulled over and you uh you know are very polite you don't make any sudden moves you answer their questions you don't reach for anything too quickly so she's kind of reciting all that as this cop is coming up and the cop is immediately antagonistic and suspicious of these two black teenagers and Khalil is not um, abiding by Star's sort of uh, rules that she has in her head of how to be safe with police present is being a little bit more, a little bit more of an attitude um, in a way that is justified because the cop is being uh, very antagonistic, and she gets really worried. Um, but it escalates very quickly. Uh, they, the cop, says to get out of the car for Khalil to get out of the the car and put his hands, I believe, on the top of the car while he goes and runs his license. And Star is getting very scared, and Khalil asks if she's okay. And in the middle of Khalil asking if she's okay, he gets shot and killed. Um, She runs out of the car, and uh, Khalil dies in her arms, and it's very, very sad, uh, and uh, and the the cop also points the gun at her. Um, 
and someone else wants yeah, to Yeah, I think that's a good place to I think that's a good place to stop okay. and sort of talk about can that I, scene. Yeah. Can I make one comment of a thing that I really like that Angie Thomas did with the setup of this mm-hmm. book? Was mm-hmm. she she made it she gave it the sense that it could have been a very different book. Like the the sexual chemistry between mm-hmm. her yeah. and Khalil is really mm-hmm. cute and you're like, "Oh, this is her former friend, but she has this white boyfriend." We're in a different universe. This book would have been about like a love mm-hmm. triangle between a girl sort of who feels herself caught between two mm-hmm. worlds. Like I was like yeah. rooting for her and Khalil. I was like, oh my God, are they going to kiss? They have this chemistry. And then this cop, I mean, like he kills Khalil and cuts his life so short, completely changes the trajectory of the book. Yeah. No, I and think- I think that's one of the things that makes it especially tragic that mm-hmm. it's cut off that potential story, that it's cut off mm-hmm. all potential stories for Khalil. I mean, it can't be a story about him getting out of drug dealing or mm-hmm. them both getting to live in a better place. Um, all those stories are ended incredibly prematurely by an act of violence. I think that we've talked a lot about some really heavy stuff and we should just take a breather for a sec. You're listening to Popcorn Book Club from iHeartRadio, and we'll be back right after the break. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that is guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Ooh. 
like our recent episode with Melissa Joan Hart. LL Cool J gave me some great advice. He had all these gold chains and I was like, wow, look at all these diamonds. And he said something to the effect of, don't waste your money on something like this. Buy a house. Like he gave me like solid investment advice where I was like, save my money. Got it. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we're back with Popcorn Book Club from iHeartRadio. I mean, I think the one thing that I would love to talk about is that they listened to Tupac on the way to to get back to mm-hmm. uh, yes. Star's house. And mm-hmm. they Khalil brings up the fact that thug life actually means something much more than what I, I had never, I did not know this. Um, and that mm-hmm. thug life stands for the hate you give, little infants fucks everyone, which is kind of a shorthand acronym for systemic racism, which they talk about and then gets, it's, it's sort of a, a theme that we keep coming back to that these cycles of violence are because of, you know, as we are, as we are all starting to learn about like uh, under-resourced, underserved communities being forced into economic situations that they can't break the cycle of because of state violence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was interesting also that uh, Melissa, you had talked about how uh, there was an indication that Khalil had money. And the indication, I, if I recall, was that he had like this big earring with a diamond in it. And he had these like new fresh right. sneakers, uh, which she did scuff. Mm-hmm. And we get to see a little bit, like Dana was saying, of the tension there because she's like, oh, let me clean your sneakers because she's a sneakerhead, mm-hmm. which I love. I love that she's a little sneakerhead. Um, I love Star That's just so as cute. a character. Yeah. And yeah, she loves Harry she Potter. Loves and loves yeah. Harry Potter. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, no, I kept going back to the Harry Potter thing as well because mm-hmm. it kept reminding me how young yeah. these people were. That um, yeah. I, I think something that we as a society do is sometimes we uh, prematurely adultify black Mm -hmm. children and Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times when um a black person gets shot by the police newspapers talk about how like they were a thug and it seems like they posed a danger and i i think if you look back to what you were like at 15 those are those are just babies those are just little people who like harry potter well that and that's something i will i'm sure keep going Mm -hmm. back to but i what i loved about this book was it was you know, a book about about systemic violence or uh, violence against black people and this incredible tragedy and all of the tragedies um, against black people. And at the same time, it was a young adult teenage drama. Like there's teenage drama, there's romance, there's like going to prom. And then the beginning, it starts with a flirtation and it it does feel like uh, it, black teenagers can't just be teenagers and that's the thing like you you see over and over again like with her tumblr i think it's a really good example of how like Haley thinks it's so disgusting posting p- these pictures of emmett till and it's like that's what that's what they're faced with they're faced with that duality constantly mm-hmm. and i think that was really well told yeah and book. we'll get into emmett till stuff later Sorry, because no it's ahead. fine we and i think that also the fact that it's there's this huge argument that's about tumblr 
again, speaks to the fact that these are teenagers in Mm -hmm. uh, like 2017 whose main issues surround on this like micro blogging social media platform Mm -hmm. that was very cool at the time. Would just like, Um, can I just add that I love that it's a young adult book, but I think everyone should read this book. Like, I think that is such a like wonderful read. It's so important and thoughtful and like, Everyone should read this book. It shouldn't be just young adults. So anyone listening, like mm-hmm. share it with everyone that you're that you're friends with, not friends, enemies, anyone. Something I was wondering about a little bit since a lot of members of this group are white. Did anybody else have a conversation with their parents growing up about what to do if police pull you over? Um, the most brief one, and it was never for your own safety. It was just like, how, always have your registration on you. <laughs> yeah. You should keep that in the glove compartment. Was the extent of the conversation was have your registration. Well, when I was 10, actually, a cop pulled my mom over and um, I had not had a conversation with her at the time about anything. And I remember recently I had been at JCPenney with my uh, family friends and we had all been like shopping at JCPenney. And then my friend who was like my mom's friend's daughter and I were lagging behind and we get to the car and we heard that um, they got to see the inside of a cop car. And I was super jealous that I didn't get to see the inside of a cop car um, because they like gave my friend's little brother a tour. And I think that he also seems less of a threat because he was younger. We were all black. I think that's important to note. Uh, he's younger and he has Down syndrome. He's not younger now. He's like 22 now, which is crazy to me. Uh, but Uh, Then I was super jealous that I hadn't gotten to see the inside of a cop car. So my mom gets pulled over because she has like dead tags on her car, which sometimes we all forget or we're just broke and can't do it. Um, And it was like by a month. It wasn't like years later or anything. And the cop pulled us over and I leaned over and I said, can I see the inside of your car? And my mom looked like she wanted to strangle me (laughs) Uh, because she's like, please do not engage with police like that. Don't talk to them. Just let them. He did let me see the inside of his car, which made me super happy at the time. And now I hope to never see the inside of a cop car ever again. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's interesting because I was just a kid in that sense and not with the weight of this is the police under my decision making. I was just like, oh, my friend got to see the inside of a cop car. I want to see all the buttons. Um, But I also had the privilege of not growing up in the same type of neighborhood as Star. Karama, I, I want to go back briefly to the point that Tian made about this being a YA mm-hmm. book, but it, um, you know, really should be read by everyone. You and I, we texted mm-hmm. about this briefly when we started reading it, where it's like there are certain advantages to it being a YA story in that it young people hopefully also will read this. Like I've heard stories mm-hmm. from yes. high school students reading it's, this, which I think is It's incredible. also important to note that it was awarded uh, a couple of different awards by the American Library Association. So it got the Coretta Scott King Award, obviously named for uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s wife. Um, and that's for Black young adult books. And it also won the William C. Morris Award, which was for first time young adult writers. And it was on the National Book Award Young Adult Long List. So it's killing it in the YA game. And it was highly recognized. Mm-hmm. And it was on the New York Times bestseller list for over 80 weeks when it first came out. So this was clearly wow. something that sparked something in people, but it was also banned by several people. And there were fringe groups saying that it was dangerous because it humanized the victims of police violence. 
which just d- <laughs> wait that's why it was there banned? Some pe- the, i don't know if that's why it was banned it does have a lot of swear words and a penis joke at one point which i thought was great because that's life when you're 16 uh but i don't think that the single penis joke in the book is the reason that people were banning it i think it's because it was about race a lot yeah it humanizes the human yes beings. it does humanize the human <laughs> beings uh but yeah I, had, I was doing some reading how, on the book online and there are people who were like this is bad because of humanization and i was like god god forbid people see black uh, people as humans <laughs> i remember seeing someone on twitter like coming at angie and the author and they were like um how am i supposed to take a book about uh, black people seriously when the title spells out thug t h u g ever think of that and she's like uh-huh. yeah <laughs> I bet literally she did think about it yeah. She, yeah she did like it spelled purposely like you with yeah. a u to make that they talk point. about it in the course it is of a quotation like a, a lot yep. it's it's probably the most recurring theme of the but book. It, it's someone, or it's motif. Some, it's someone who thought they found the Illuminati conspiracy. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Beyonce might be Star's cousin. They do talk about that in the book. Because they have the same. She said, we have the same last, last name. And I'm like, that's Jay-Z's last name. Calm down. <laughs> you're related to Jay-Z at best, which is not to slander Jay-Z. Jay-Z, you're wonderful. I know you're listening to this as we are a top podcast. Um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> Jay Z's no Beyonce. I feel like we can all say that. Jay Z and Beyonce are different people. Yes, that is what I will say. But they could be like cousins in law, which would be really cool. Yes, mm-hmm. cousins by marriage. But uh, yeah. so we've talked about everything, sort of except the worst part of that first mm-hmm. segment, which is the shooting itself. And it was really illuminating to see how. Uh, It was very upsetting for me to watch it in film. It was hard to read, but it was harder to watch. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting to see how she focuses on tiny details like the badge number because her dad was like, make sure you have a badge number. And for the rest of the book, she only refers to him by his badge number even after learning his name. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think also just her insistence like, hey, Khalil, you need to listen to, to me. It also really shows that there's a family cohesiveness in her life and there's like a familial care in her life mm-hmm. that wasn't in Khalil's life because Khalil's mother has, yeah. a, has a drug problem and isn't fully present in his life. And I think that later on, Star sort of blames his mother in a way for that because if someone had had the talk with him, he might still be alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The hate you give little infants ups everyone. It all comes yeah. Back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that also the fact that she was so overwrought with emotion after this shooting happens that she forgets everything that she's been taught and she does run after him and sort of put herself in danger. The gun probably wouldn't have been mm-hmm. pointed at her if she hadn't left the car to go run to help Khalil uh, shows that there's a love there for him just a friend love, maybe more, because they did have a little kiss when they were younger, but a friend love that supersedes everything else and supersedes all of her training and conditioning to not do these things. And that, in a way, the love is stronger than the hate that's been given by the police mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was so interesting to see Khalil's reaction to the police because when you're when I was watching in the movie I was with 
star. You're like, just just put your hands on the dashboard. Just do what mm-hmm. he says. But you also recognize that, like, yeah, from Khalil's perspective and from the world's perspective, like, it is absolute bullshit. Like, yeah. the fact that the cop is treating him that way and the fact that Khalil has had to deal with that for his entire life, like, you're asking someone to behave, I'm putting air quotes around this, rationally in an yeah. irrational system. And one detail I forgot to mention was that they're pulled over because of a broken taillight. So it's not even... Yeah for anything like any traffic violation not that that would cause any more reason to be antagonizing the way that 115 was but it is like that is his life and just being you know harassed constantly and you understand exactly why you know um he is like that but but you also yeah you are on star side of just like don't go back into the house you know don't go into the basement you know it feels like watching a horror movie that's real there's no question in my mind that if khalil had been white and been yes. openly yeah. antagonistic with the cop it would have been fine i i i grew up in a wealthy white community there were kids who got pulled over and told cops to go fuck themselves. Oh, my God. And it was like, well, we'll talk to your father about this, young man. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think it's very clear that this yeah. only happened because of race. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that he was so trigger happy, 115, rather, that yeah. he was so ready to shoot at the first sign of movement. Yeah. I mean, that mm-hmm. is only because Khalil was black. I um and they do yeah. go into that a little bit more in the movie than in the book the trigger happiness of the white the white cop in the face of a black uh, to use a word I guess suspect I don't like using that word but um mm-hmm. uh but something else that I thought sorry um whew, um something else that I thought was really interesting was the choice to make it a more specific visible thing that Khalil didn't do in the, in the movie, because in the movie, it wasn't a broken taillight. It was failure to signal when changing lanes. And that also calls to mind, of course, Sandra Bland, who got pulled over for the same thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. I thought that it was interesting. And there were a couple of things while watching the movie that made me wonder, did a white person write this, which a white person did write it. (laughs) Yes. And uh, that was the first thing, especially because I could see watching the movie that his taillights weren't out. And I was like, oh, is this guy still going to pull him over for a broken taillight? And in the book, there's no way to tell whether or not there was a legitimate, quote unquote, legitimate reason to pull him over. Because we don't see the taillight at any point. So it doesn't matter whether it was something that he did wrong or not in the book. He was pulled over and then he was treated poorly. And this, in the film version, I mm-hmm. found it, I don't want to say upsetting, but I found it interesting that one could justify them being pulled over objectively. I do want to point out, not that this, just, a, I guess, part of the conversation, actually, the screenwriter, Audrey Wells, uh, died of cancer the day The before day before the it was released. Was released. Yeah, I oh, also saw that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Just its That's... own... Weird tragedy. Yeah. But yeah, I, I was like, well, why out of every screenwriter in Hollywood, maybe would, would a black person not write this incredibly black specific yeah, story? Yeah, every single screenwriter. Um, Just there are so many people. There was also a moment in the movie, too, that I found interesting that I was like, 
okay, this might be attributed to having a white screenwriter, is that they gave a, the cop a moment. You got to see there was a moment where the cop realized that he had fucked up. And to me, that I, th I think humanized it in a way that I don't agree with necessarily in that situation. Yeah, it was copaganda. It's like it's cop. It was totally copaganda, and I was like, "Oh, that was it exactly." They they also made it so that Khalil was actively reaching for yeah. the hairbrush and like pulled the mm -hmm. hairbrush out, which in the book he doesn't do the same way. Mm -hmm. And then the cop like mm -mm. sees it and he's like, "Shit!" And that's like what you were talking about, like the the moment where he's like, "Oh, I fucked up." Um, I think like the decision to call him one fifteen throughout the book was like a really deliberate yeah. choice yes. on Angie's part for that reason that you're talking about, where it's like, for once, we're going to humanize yep. Khalil. Yeah, I really appreciated that choice. And it felt so intentional throughout, like the only time you ever, that the only time you ever see him again is in this propaganda interview with his father. And that's the only time he is quote unquote humanized, but it is seen through the lens of star which is which i felt was a, such a good choice mm -hmm. because you are there with her not with them and it is intentionally propaganda absolutely yeah. yeah it was very clearly and i think they had mentioned before he's probably going to do these interviews and that was one of the reasons that star was encouraged to also do an interview all right so here maybe is a good spot for for a little break mm -hmm. sounds okay. great This is Popcorn Book Club. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like our recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women. Like, especially when it comes to Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends. We're just each other's pulse. I mean... It's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back with Popcorn Book Club. Tian, do you want to handle the next part post-shooting? Yes. Um, So I think... The cops do not help Khalil and he dies in the street and it immediately triggers Star's memory of another best friend of hers who is murdered. We find out that Star has a trio of best, she's part of a trio of best friends. It's her, Khalil, and her friend Natasha and Natasha is murdered by gang violence. Um, And it's kind of, she's having this like flashback happening in that moment. Um, The next day, we get back to, I believe, uh, Star's home, and she shares with her parents that she really doesn't want to share or want people to know that she was the witness mm-hmm. at the shooting, at the murder. Um, and because she's afraid of the backlash, she knows that this could become a national news story and that she has seen what other witnesses have had to experience of like online backlash, harassment, death threats. Um, and she doesn't want to put herself in that position. Um, we also learn in these in, in, in this chapter that she has a love for fresh pints, um, that she's a huge fan of Will, because in some ways her and Will share a similarity in that they, you know, uh, went to a mostly pre- like a predominantly white uh, private school. Um, and she kind of like relates to Will in that way. And also she shares, I think that's when we find out that her boyfriend also likes Fresh Prince too, Chris, and that they have kind of share a shared love of Fresh Prince. It's their high school love connection. Um, <laughs> we also are introduced to Maverick, uh, Star's dad, and his, you know, that he really has a lot of, um, the word that I'm trying to, that a lot of, he takes a lot of his values and or follows the, lives his life through the the rules and principles of Black Panther Party and Black Power. Yeah. Um, we learn about the 10-point uh, program. Um, mm-hmm. And then we also learn about Star's relationship to King, that he is her godfather and that he kind of is this villain in the neighborhood. He is the big drug lord. Um, and that him and Maverick, her dad, have had a history which we will learn about more later on. And I do think that we we briefly talked about it earlier, but it's important to just note very clearly that the boyfriend who also likes Fresh Prince, Chris, he is white. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Chris is white. Um, very important to make sure we know that. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we move on and Star wakes up from a nightmare and uh, finds her parents and Uncle Carlos are talking about 
the murder. And Uncle Carlos wants Star to testify. And it almost, I mean, it's already complicated that Uncle Carlos is a cop. We find out that he's a cop. And he wants Star to testify to almost maybe justify the shooting. He doesn't say it as much, but there's kind of an illusion of like trying to get to the truth of the matter and that Khalil mm -hmm. might have been a drug dealer and that maybe this is why this incident he keeps calling it happens. And Uncle Carlos asks Star to testify and she agrees despite being kind of terrified to confront the police again. Um, we also learn at this time that Uncle Carlos has stepped in as a father figure while Maverick was in jail uh, because Maverick was a part of the King Lords, which we learn more about later, um, but that he actually went to jail because he took the fall for King. So we will learn more about that later. Um, and then this chapter ends with, I believe, uh, the fam visits Khalil's grandmother. Mm -hmm. And we learn that he was dealing we again don't get the full picture and stars upset because we learned that Khalil's mother was an addict. And so it's interesting that we get these little tidbits about Khalil because it's almost as if star is also stereotyping Khalil as like this person who was a drug dealer. How could he ever fall into that life? And she hasn't fully grasped the full picture of why someone like Khalil would have to resort to such resort to something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, the thing about Carlos being the father figure becomes complex uh, because mm -hmm. there's this cop that she loves and there's this cop that she hates right now. And how mm -hmm. do you reconcile those two things and how do you fear and hate the cops, but also love and care for your uncle, who for the first like three or four years of her life was the only father figure that she knew? Uh, and also, we get this this scene where we do meet Khalil's mom, Miss Brenda, and mm -hmm. she comes into the clinic where Lisa Carter, uh, Star's mom, works, and she uh, is crying. She's distraught. She's like, "They killed my baby," and Star blames her, and she gets angry, and she says, "Like, oh, now she wants to be his mother." And Lisa is much more sympathetic. Right. And she says, no matter what she's done, she's still his mother and he's still gone. And I think that that's important. And just this sort of running theme of family and parents. And also when we meet Maverick, we do get to find out a little bit more about, like you mentioned, the Black Panthers. And then in the book, I found it really interesting that they got rid of this in the movie. Again, a thing that I was like, mm, did a white person write this? Uh, yeah. The whole praying specifically to black Jesus and making that not right. not Jesus, specifically black Jesus. And there's a lot of interesting religious <laughs> stuff where they pray to black Jesus, but also Maverick mm -hmm. seems to sort of adhere to some of the beliefs of the nation of Islam. And he gets upset that there's pork in his house. And he's just like, hmm, don't eat that mm -hmm. stuff. And uh, But he's not actually Muslim. And he's not, there's no indication that he is active in the Nation of Islam, which I don't know if you all knew this, but the Southern Poverty Law Center qualifies as a hate group, um, which is really interesting. Did not know that. Ooh, I mean, there's a lot of complicated stuff with some people and very anti-Semitic 
things. Oh yeah, no, I didn't say. know about the like, anti-Semitism and, until yeah. I saw it. And I was like, oh yeah, this sounds like a hate group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say like like Louis Farrakhan. It was who was that like influencer who quoted Farrakhan and was like, who is this guy? Oh. <laughs> and you're like, oh, it was a, it was a oh, football it, player, was it, right? Oh, oh, yes. No, that's another story. No, that's was Deshaun was, uh, somebody. I can't remember Deshaun his last Jackson name. Deshaun Jackson. Yeah. I think it was Jamila Jamil. Women's March? Jamila Jamil. No, I think, no. I think it was Jamila Jamil who posted oh, like a, a picture of Louis Farrakhan and a, and a quote from him. And it was like a good quote because, you know, sometimes oh. people with bad beliefs can say important yeah, multitudes. Yeah, the quote of his is that Hitler was a great man. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. you know, you, you should maybe distance yourself from anybody who <laughs> feels that way about Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so you're like, all right, there's, there's nuance here. You shouldn't, let's, let's not hate Jews or black yeah. people. I think that both, of, I think we can stand as a podcast and say, don't hate I, Jews yes. and don't hate black people for being Jewish or for <laughs> being black. If like a black person yeah. like yeah. says a mean thing to you, then you can be like, hey, you're a mean person who is also black. You don't have to love every single black person. But like, maybe if they say Hitler's yeah. great, don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to go on the record of saying yeah. that Hitler was not a great yes. man. He was a Thank very you. bad man. And a mediocre artist, too. <laughs> not that mm-hmm. good. No. <laughs> I'm glad that we as a podcast yes, are navigating these very controversial, <laughs> complicated issues. <laughs> Really well. I hope we get more episodes after this. (laughs) Um, I think it's so interesting of Angie. I just want to go back to what you said, Karama, about like, you know, how media's and story, media and stories like to make like a monolith of black folks. And mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that Maverick and Carlos are two very specific black men responding to white supremacy in different ways. One mm-hmm. lives to fight it with his family in the neighborhood. The other uh, arguably assimilates and yeah. wants to try and fix it from within. Like I, I, to see mm-hmm. Angie is just doing so much with this book. It's just like, yeah, so important. Yeah. I would say that each character navigates their blackness in a really different way. And mm-hmm. um, I thought it was interesting that in the movie, uh, Lisa, the mom, had relaxed hair. Do you all know what it means to have relaxed hair? Is that a thing that you understand? Okay, Not to like mm-hmm. baby you, but <laughs> I just know that sometimes non-Black people don't know terms that are very common in the Black community. So for those of you listening who don't know what that means, uh, relaxing your hair is when you chemically straighten it with uh, a combination of chemicals like uh, lye is one of them. If you haven't seen Chris Rock's documentary, Good Hair, you should see it. It's incredible. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's like 10 years old at this point, but it's still really important, really incredible to learn about black hair and just a lot of the hatred and stereotypes that come with having black hair in various forms. And there are a lot of people who say that people who relax their hair are trying to, quote unquote, be white or try to assimilate. Mm -hmm. And... um, I thought that was an interesting choice because given the conversations that mm-hmm. Maverick and Lisa tend to have about her wanting to leave the neighborhood and her being like, mm-hmm. we need to move out of Garden Heights. Mm-hmm. This, this needs to happen now uh, that she was the one that had relaxed hair and Star has her hair in braids, which is a protective style for natural hair. And so Star is kind of in this in-between mm-hmm. where she doesn't have her natural hair like fully out, but she has this decidedly Black hairstyle that is more quote unquote palatable to white people. 
in the movie. I feel at like least. they say a lot in the movie with visual cues, mm-hmm. like early on when she's. Uh, part of it is like her mom uh, drives her from their neighborhood to this uh, more wealthy neighborhood into this predominantly white school. And uh, Star is wearing a hoodie. And when she gets to school, mm-hmm. she pulls the hood mm-hmm. off and takes the hoodie off. But then later in the film, when she finally sort of embraces both sides of herself and becomes decides to just be Star everywhere, when she confronts Haley. She's wearing a hoodie with a hoodie with the hood up. And I was like, oh, mm. there it is. It's like it's part of her uniform still. Like it's like a white uniform sweatshirt, but it's clearly they made the choice to to communicate that visually, which I appreciated. Because otherwise, I did sort of feel like the movie gave short shrift to um Regina Hall's character mm-hmm. as Lisa mm-hmm. Carter. And Regina Hall is like such a wonderful actress. Truly a gift. But I think so that good. the movie Mm-hmm. I think Amazing. the movie didn't give her a lot to do. And she she blew me out of the water with what she did do. But yeah, I think yeah. that the mother, I felt like all of the women characters in the book, aside from Star, or in the movie, aside from Star, kind of got shortchanged. Like they completely got rid of Nana, the grandmother character. And yeah. the mm-hmm. and then the a- aunt and April, has been severely April reduced. almost disappears. Mm-hmm. She's there April, a little bit, but yeah, there were, a lot of, in the movie. there were a lot of um, characters that sort of, there's only so much time that you can make a movie. And right. I, I just yeah. noticed mm-hmm. that a lot of the cutting room floor stuff ended up being these strong black women in the story outside of Star. Um, but yeah. They also the, cut Devante. Yes, yeah. I was very upset about cutting Sorry, Devante. No, which I was very surprised by. Yeah, especially because Devante, I feel like comes up very early on in the party where Kenya's there to beat Devante's girlfriend's ass, Danasia, because she's been <laughs> fighting with Danasia, which I appreciated. I appreciated that Kenya is not subtle. And she's like, I'm not going to psychologically sabotage her. I'm just going to beat the shit out of her. And Star, you're going to help. <laughs> <laughs> he he also comes, like, becomes such an incredible, like, source of stakes and tension because I feel like once he is introduced you're so worried about him the whole time Mm -hmm. of like you know whether I I don't want to get ahead of it but it just it feel and he's such a beautiful character like his growth and and Star's relationship with him Carlos and Maverick it's it feels like it's a real shame like he's just such a critical part of the story in my opinion yeah i think he sort of represented like the potential and risk of of young black boys like you know the the desperation with which carlos and maverick both wanted to save him i think really communicated and it's the first thing they agree on it's literally the first thing in the whole book that they agree on and it's like Mm -hmm. um it's like tan said they are both navigating white supremacy in different ways with the assimilation and with the like black power response, but this is the one thing that they can agree on that they need to keep this man, this young man safe and Mm -hmm. they will work Mm -hmm. together to figure out a way to do it. That works for both of them and works for both of their beliefs. But this is where Mm -hmm. they can meet is that they want to make sure that this young man lives and they want to make sure that he is Mm -hmm. okay and they can do that. 
I just want to say for contrast in terms of the psychological, the warfare that you do against a boyfriend's new girlfriend mm-hmm. is my version of that. And a, a move that I have been told is, in fact, bullying. Yeah, no, it's bad. It's bad. I mean, they're both is, bullying. Um, Beating the shit when, out of someone is no, bullying no. also. <laughs> no, when am I? I found out that, like, my ex that I'm very close to started seeing this other girl and like he and I are very close and I was like, okay, who is she? And I looked her up on Twitter mm-hmm. and I just like liked a few of her tweets. And he's and then he immediately texted me and it was like, you can't do that, Dana. That is bullying. That is psychological, Dana, that is psychological warfare, warfare, Dana. Warfare. Dana, don't do that. No. I haven't done it. This was this was like two years ago. I I am recognizing and I am growing. Yes, yes it is. Uh, Karama is guest guest which ex boyfriend it is in a, in the chat and it is. I'm not trying to boyfriend. put you on blast in front of the world, but I, I did just want to know for the me. Chat though, but that is uh, that is uh, my version of of going to a party and beating someone up. Okay, so um, wait, and I feel like they are both. I don't want to say valid because they're both horrible, but they are both recognized <laughs> reactions to feeling like your your quote unquote territory territory has been infringed upon. Uh, but I just like that we get very early on who Kenya is and uh, we do get yeah. to see mm-hmm. a more nuanced version of Kenya as we move along because Kenya is Seven's sister yeah. and Seven is Star's brother. And uh, Kenya's father, I don't know if we mentioned this, but Kenya's father is king, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. becomes a big deal later. But um, yeah, so we've talked about Khalil's mom, um, and I think it's time to talk about the police station and move on from there. Dana, do you want to take that part? Yeah. Oof. Um, Star agrees to go to the police station and testify about what she saw and what happened sort of dealing with PTSD the entire time, which is legitimate. She saw her friend mm-hmm. murdered in front of her. And so she she goes to the police station and these two cops uh, interrogate her in a way that immediately makes it clear that they are trying to justify what 115 did to Kalia. Like they're, you know, framing the questions is such an important part of like what what lawyers do because it, it, you know, immediately reveals your perspective. And so they're, they're talking to her in a way that makes her feel, uh, very much, uh, like she's not able to do justice to Khalil in the way that she wants to. She wants to communicate fully that like this cop pointed a gun at her too, which is a detail that she doesn't remember. I mean, maybe she remembers, but a detail that she didn't end up telling the, the two cops until, uh, but she tells her family later. It's like, I think partly of repression and partly out of the way that like they framed these questions. So we, mm-hmm. we basically get what I think, unfortunately, is probably a very realistic depiction of what someone in that situation might go through. And she's sort of rescued from that room by her uncle Carlos. And I think that that's the scene where we sort of see Carlos as a, as a cop. And he, he's like, I know 115, um, uh, you know, and he he doesn't justify it, but offers the cop perspective, the perspective that I think the book serves by like the people online who's like, well, I know a cop and he's nice. Mm-hmm. When people, yeah. you know, when people are protesting, there's always mm-hmm. the people on Facebook who are like, well, some cops are just trying to do a good job and do their job. And 
I think that's the perspective that Carlos voices, mm-hmm. um, which isn't, you know, a perspective that people deal with and interact with and have. And so I think is worthwhile. I think it's um, worthwhile. And I thought it was interesting that in the book, that's a perspective he holds at the beginning of the book. And at the film, yes. it's a perspective yeah. he holds at the end of the film. And I felt like we missed a lot of the growth from Uncle Carlos that we had in the book. And it made him seem like a cop apologist. Yeah. Yes. And I think Devante helped him with that growth in a way that mm-hmm. which we didn't get in the in the film. Because, yeah, at the beginning of the story, he is sort of like. The, the, she, he sort of acts as the cop apologist voice perspective. Um, although one thing I don't want to jump ahead too much, but one thing that I was curious to know you your your guys's perspective on is very smart people. In this movement, I've heard people being like, we have to reconcile the fact that like the story still end. I mean, the story still ends with King being arrested by the police, and that's a victory because yeah. uh, King. You know, and I I think that that is something that we culturally need to reconcile. Like mm-hmm. that is still a a a victory for the story, which is the legal system working and functioning. And, you know, people sometimes say when people, when people protest and say, arrest the cops that killed insert name here. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's still operating within a broken system. And I think people may criticize this book for not going far enough. Although, you know, it's still a young adult novel that raises these essential points that, and perspectives that I think so many people haven't even engaged with in the first mm-hmm. place. So I think, you know, maybe that maybe that's a, uh, not a necessary conversation, but it is one that I thought of and one that I thought maybe would be worth talking about. I mean, sociopaths do exist. Um, I don't think they are the perpetrators of most crimes. I think most crimes stem from desperation and from a lack of resources and from a lack of education. But there are going to be serial killers who exist in the world um, because psychopaths are a real thing and some people kill people for fun. Um, Some people, you know, enjoy doing terrible things to other people. Some people are serial rapists. But I don't know if... You need the billions of dollars that currently go towards the police to take care of what I think is generally a smaller portion of people than the people that the police are regularly called on. I think um, at the moment you call a police if you find like a dead body in an alley that has been stabbed multiple times with like a note that says... The dog told me to do this. I am the dog killer. (laughs) And you also call the police if a house party is too loud and it's midnight on a Wednesday. And maybe maybe those two people that you're calling should not be the same people. Yes, I heartily Mm -hmm. agree. Um, Mm -hmm. when uh, When I was in college, actually, there was a party that was broken up by the police and it was a predominantly black party and they used pepper spray inside a room. Oh, God. Um, Wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my freshman year. Oh, I can't yeah, my, it was a campus Where? party. Um, I think it was at Harambe, which was the diversity house. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember if it was at Harambe for sure, for sure. But I remember I got two emails about it. Uh, one was from the black organization on campus that was sent to every black student. And then there was an email that was sent to the school at large that was like, hey, so there was an incident. And then the email from the Black students are like, we cannot let this stand. They can't do this to us. This isn't right. And this doesn't happen to white people. 
And I will say mm-hmm. that it didn't happen again in the four years that I was there. It happened like in November of my freshman year. But uh, it still stuck with me. It's something I think about a lot. And it was like, mm-hmm. we didn't have large gatherings of Black people at my high school because there weren't large group mm-hmm. numbers of Black people. And so some of the things that happen when you have Black people gathering together in a, pre- in a predominantly white space, I was shielded from. And it was sort of my first instance of that. And I was like, oh, this mm-hmm. is not a thing that just happens on TV. This is bad and could happen to me. Like, if I'd gone to that party, would I have been okay? I don't know. Um, and it was all mm-hmm. fine. Everybody was fine. Nobody died. But I do think it is important to note that, like, stuff like that still happens and I think that uh, with the issue of the cops being the victory in the book, I saw it more as, or I tried to frame it at least, as King not being in the community was the victory. And the community not being afraid to snitch was the victory. Mm -hmm. And they had this like great reverse I am Spartacus moment. Where they were all like, King did it. Yeah, yeah, King did it. He did it. It was him. And everybody was brave enough to stand up for Mm -hmm. their community Mm -hmm. and get King out of it. And I think that's what's important because that, in that moment, is the thing that can lead to a breaking of the cycle. Because you can't get out of the King Lords if King is there and it's beating you up and is setting your, uh, it is setting buildings on fire and all of that great stuff. Uh, Great in quotes. (laughs) Uh, but it is a problem yeah. that this is sort of the system we have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do think King is a genuine psychopath. Everything that he does yeah. seems indicative of. I, I'm sure he had a very hard childhood, too. But I also think he sets buildings on fire and beats his wife and uh, kills children and um, puts people in terrible, terrible positions. And I don't think that community can function if you have someone who is a sociopath to that extent mm-hmm. in a position of power in it. And I I do think, to your point, Karama, it, you know, they there's a lot of talk in the movement to defund the police about um, community, mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. organizing and communities coming together to stop and help with the dangers in their own community because they know it the best. Like King is the danger in that, or not the only danger, but is the danger in that community, not Maverick, who is, we'll talk about later, like has a very scary incident with the police, mm-hmm. is the police do not know who the danger is. So I, I to your, I did see it that way too of like, the, it's all of the community coming together to stop this threat. Um, and that felt like the victory, not the police arresting him. It also reminded me a little bit of that classic uh, Matt Boers comic from The Nib where it's like someone saying, like a surf being like, we should improve society somewhat. And then the guy being like, and yet you participate in society. Curious. Which is like, <laughs> yes. we live in, we live in yeah. society, so we do have to like function within the society, but we can still work for towards its improvement. Right. And the issue with calling for, say, an arrest to the cops that killed Breonna Taylor, for example, which as of recording this still has not happened, I think one has been fired, Mm -hmm. which is not what anyone asked for. Uh, It is a step, a minor positive step, but literally not the thing that anyone asked for. The problem is Mm -hmm. that if I kill someone, I get arrested. But if a cop kills someone, Mm -hmm. the cop has no repercussions. There were three cops in that room. 
and only one of them has faced any repercussions and not to the level of repercussions that a civilian would face. And the problem is that the cops are above the law. And that's sort of the Mm -hmm. issue where it's like, if we live in a society and we are participating in society, then cops need to be a part of society too. They don't get to be outside of society and then punish society. Isn't it crazy, the idea that maybe the people who are enforcing the law with deadly weapons should be held to a higher standard than civilians? Yeah, no, yeah. it um, really shocked me when I realized how much training you is actually required to be a cop. <laughs> right. Because mm-hmm. I believe it is less than is required to become a beautician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it is something like 18 months worth of training, which uh, strikes me as a very short amount of time to be given a gun and essentially no legal penalties if you kill someone with it. Hair grows back. (laughs) Hair does grow back. Also, I think that the training to become a police dog in some instances is longer than the training to become a police human. Oh. Oh, Those sweet dogs. Um, I I also think that in, in reference to like what the end of the book is saying, I know we're jumping ahead, but you know, they are no, star comes into her power and into her voice, but uh, that one fifteen gets off scot free, mm-hmm. and so it is. And obviously, that you know the rest of the book happens. <laughs> there, there's more to talk about, but I do think that is the commentary on the system. It is not a happy ending in that story, and so you know there are these small victories within this broken system, but it's still a broken yes. system. That's our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dana Schwartz, and you can find me on Twitter at Dana Schwartz with three Zs. You can follow Jennifer Wright at Jen Ashley Wright. Karama Dankwa is at Karama Drama. Melissa Hunter is at Melissa FTW. And Tian Tran is smart enough to have gotten off Twitter, but she is on Insta at Hank Tina. Our executive producer is Christopher Hesiotis, and we're produced and edited by Mike Johns. Special thanks to David Wasserman. Next week, we will continue our conversation about The Hate You Give. And the week after that, we have a very special guest that I'm very excited for you to listen to. Okay, spoiler alert. It is the author herself, Angie Thomas, an incredible, brilliant human being. You're definitely going to want to stay tuned. Uh, And if you want to get a jump start on reading our next book, it is Brave New World, getting ready to pair with the Peacock original series. Popcorn Book Club is a production of iHeartRadio. See you next week. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, fam. I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.